And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour podcast, episode 408. Alongside the original Kona coach, Wendy Mater. I'm Dave Erickson. Glad to have you with us this week. Uh, Wendy still on the recovery road after knee surgery. And speaking of Kona, boy, we are on the edge of that in Kona. Not in France, but in Kona. And Wendy knows more, all about that. But first, Wendy, what's the road to recovery for you right now? And people are following and you're giving updates on the knee. It's been six months now since the surgery. Yeah, it's been six and a half months. I think we're approaching, 20, I think that's 27 weeks tomorrow, 27 weeks post-op. Um, it's all right. You know, I had patience and I had acceptance and I was fine at the initial phases of my journey post patella surgery. But now everything you read, oh, you get to return back to your sport after six months and yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm trying to run because that's my sport. I've been cycling more. I'm still swimming. You know, that's that never went away. And and it's it's been really hard for me because I can't run yet. And the reason I can't run has to do with my quad strength and size. You know, at 12, at 12 weeks post-op, when my surgeon told me my knee was healed, my my quad was also an inch diameter smaller than my left quad. Now it's about a half inch. So I've gained a little bit of mass on it, but it still doesn't quite have the strength to be able to run. And so it's a little bit frustrating because I, you know, I'm like so close, but so far. And when I attempt to run, I feel like I'm kind of limping a little bit. It's my gait's a little off. I've sent videos to my physical therapist and I'm working on what I need to work on now first is to be able to hop on one leg. Mm. And as easy as that used to be, it's, it's quite difficult for me. And like my physical therapist told me, he's like, you got to be able to hop on one leg to be able to run. And so that's what I've been working. I think I saw him three weeks ago. That's what I've been really kind of focused on the last three weeks. I start by holding onto a band and then I kind of release the band and try to keep on hopping. And it's, it's, it is, again, I make progress every week. There's something always that I'm grateful for. And I see, I see how far I've come. I look back on all my videos I've made over the last six months and I'm like, wow, I still can't believe this happened to me. Mm. Um, so yeah, the recovery road, you know, complete recovery is about a year. So March, April, really of, of 2024, but I just want to be running before that, you know, running's a release for me. It's a stress relief. It's, it's freedom. It's, it's something that I can't do. So it's a challenge Mm. for me right now. And I like to overcome challenges. And so that's where I'm at. Do they have you do on trampoline to help that uh, bouncing or jumping? Yes, because I have a trampoline. And so when I mentioned it to my physical therapist, he's like, wow, that's actually not a bad idea. And so I, I do go out on my trampoline and that's helping a lot. And I do jump in the water and mm. I see progress that I'm making jumping in the water. And the new exercises I'm working on strength-wise for that vastus media. It's all about the vastus medialis. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know the vastus medialis was so important um, with running. And now that I'm cycling more outside, I'm getting that more of that strength on the hills for that specific muscle. But it's just a – it's a learning. I'm just learning a lot, you know. And, you know, hopefully I'll come out of it with – better running form than I had before. I mean, everyone's saying you're going to come back stronger and I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I know you're trying to say that to make me feel better, but 
I was pretty strong before this happened and I don't know if I will be able to do the things I used to be able to do to get that strong again. I just want to be able to be pain-free. I don't, I'm, I'm tired of the aches and pains and the connective tissue right now that it's still the connective tissue surrounding my knee that gets really achy and it is, it is what it is. And I count down the weeks and I, I'm just trying to get to that 12 month mark. I have six more months. Before this process of recovery, and I think you should probably make some videos on recovery, you know, or go to your, if your PT would allow you, but Wendy, I mean, people know that Wendy does a number, she's done hundreds and hundreds of videos that are on our YouTube channel, whether they're Q and A questions, demonstrations, stories of her journey, how to demo wetsuits, for example. Um, did you know about the anatomy of your lower muscles, like the vastus medialis, that's the teardrop part of your quadricep. Did you know those terms and where they were? I mean, I knew the terms and I know where they are, but I didn't understand, you know, like, mm. like when you do knee extension or otherwise leg extension machine, that that's supposed to strengthen the muscles around your knee. That's all I knew. Mm. Well, now I know the exact muscles it's supposed to strengthen the vastus medialis because that helps with knee tracking. And so okay. that's trying to keep my knee. So when all is said and done, the inflammation's gone, I can get the hardware out, um, next year at, at, at 12 weeks post-op and get my hardware out. It's just trying to maintain alignment of the patella. And, you know, over the, over the months I've, I've hurt in my healthy knee, my left knee has, has been out of tracking because of, um, comp or, um, um, my left leg was doing carrying more weight than my right leg. So I've overstressed certain muscles. I've overstressed the lateral muscles of my left quad and, and that kind of caused some lack of knee tracking. And I developed tendonitis in my left patella because of that. So I'm just kind of learning a little bit more about the specific quad, you know, the four quad muscles and specifically what their role is as far as the knee and then just all the attachments. I mean, the quad tendon. So when I run and my vastus medialis VMO is not kind of firing or activated, I feel it in my quad tendon right above the knee. And that's just, I mean, that's like not what I want to be using. So mm. at least I'm, I know what's over dominant and what's under dominant. And I try, and then I go do my exercises and try to get that VMO activated. And then when I try to go run, it feels better. And my running is, is not necessarily by my standard of running. I'm running a 15 minute mile. And so it's, it's good enough for me right now. But part of that is my fitness is down, you know, just the cardiovascular fitness, the, you know, running, you carry your whole body weight. Um, I just don't want to do too much too soon because my form is not on track yet. I'm still compensating a little bit. I still have this little bit of a limp. I, I'm not like you know, touch and go, touch and go, touch and go. It's kind of my right leg lags behind because it's, you know, as soon as I do the foot strike, my quads trying to engage to stabilize myself. And, you know, I got to flex my leg and I, I'm lacking some flexion and it's just a learning how to run again mm -hmm. has been an experience. And, and, you know, I do, I do, I do run analysis all the time on athletes, but when it comes down to like the, the nitty gritty details, that's what I'm learning about myself. Um, a run analysis perspective. I've been taking a lot of videos of myself and watching them and kind of analyzing where, what do I need to do? Cause I'm, I'm mm. a very visual learner. Wow.
Wow, it's really interesting. Hey, by yeah. the way, if you guys are, you know, if you send Wendy an email with a question, swim, bike, run, recovery, nutrition, transitions, weight training, whatever it may be, Wendy at T2coaching.com. Wendy at T, the number two, coaching.com. Uh, we're going to start putting a bigger focus on uh, answering those questions in video form for our YouTube channel, which we can share across our other social media platforms and T2 Coaching's platforms. So, Wendy at T2coaching.com with a question that's specific if you want uh, to your situation or a generalized question that Wendy can draw on her, what, three decades of triathlon and endurance sports uh, experience to answer for you. Uh, take advantage of that. And also, if you want to use it in the email, the newsletter, we can share those there. And we got lots of questions today that we can uh, follow up with as well from our listeners and viewers. For example, Kevin who purchased our Couch to Olympic Triathlon training plan, which he got on Training Peaks, which you can find all of our training plans on Training Peaks with discount codes included. And those discounts can also be found in our newsletter. He says, thanks for, um, I plan to race in the Napa Valley Triathlon on April 6th. I'm currently in the process of securing a pool to train in and plan to kick off the program in the middle of October. So is there anything specific I should be working on now leading up to the program? If you don't mind me asking, my wife has a Peloton that I plan on using for cycling drills, but only have a hybrid bike for the road. What do you suggest I look for in a training or race bike? So a couple questions there about their plan for next April. Yeah, I mean, I think to start off with every plan, we we have a video in there and we talk about kind of your prerequisites, where we think you should be um, from a from a swim, bike and run standpoint, a distance before you start the program. So if you're not quite there yet, well, that's kind of what you should work on before you start the training plan. Um, I think securing the pool, maybe secure um, an area to do strength training, whether you're gonna do that in a home gym or you're gonna go to facility to do your strength training. Um, review, you know, look ahead and kind of, you know, get a little bit ahead of yourself since you already have the program and watch the videos. You know, we have a video of Dave and I discussing each week of training or each phase of training so you understand the structure and the format. And then we include video content within the plan. Um, try to get a swim in video. Someone have, have someone video you swimming and running so you can send that for me for a free analysis. You can do that anytime. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. And, and for the most part, we're going to make sure you're ready. So you don't have to start the plan early if you don't want to. You can just kind of chill out and relax until the actual day one of the plan starts. And then as far as biking goes, you know, it, it's really just a matter of what your budget is. We have a video on the Endurance Hour YouTube channel where I talk about what to look for if you're a beginner looking for a bike. Um, why does two exact Two bikes that look exactly the same. Why is one $3,000 and one $1,000? And that has to do with the price of the components. So you want to start to educate yourself on what, what do you want your bike frame made out of? Titanium, carbon, steel, or aluminum? What kind of components do you want? You know, how much are you willing to invest in? So that's all the, the, the information you should be gathering now before you head to bike shops. And the best advice I ever got before, my first triathlon was on a mountain bike. So I was quickly looking for a road bike after that. 
And my cycling friends told me, don't buy the first road bike you, you ride, which I wanted to, because going from a mountain bike to a road bike is pretty dramatic. And I wanted to buy this bike. And I'm like, no, my friends told me not to, I trust my friends. And so I, I didn't end up buying it. And I, it allowed me to shop around. It allowed myself to get educated on the bike I was going to purchase. And it was just, you know, just take your time. There's no hurry right now. Your race is in April. So, you know, do your fitness, um, get on the Peloton and then take, take some time to really purchase your bike. Absolutely. When I had my first bike, I think it was 98 or 99, probably 98 ish. Uh, it was just a road bike from the bike shop. First one I rode back then. And I had the cages on the, the pedals and I did, um, clip on aero bars. Again, this is a long time ago, but that was the first bike and this made it work for the initial situation and then slowly started upgrading. I think it may have been 600 bucks. Uh-huh. It was a Fuji's finest. It's all coming back to me now. A Fuji's finest. That's what it's called. And, you know, just make, make do and then slowly, you know, trade it in, sell it, upgrade. And it's an expensive sport. So do what you can to get out there and work on that couch to Olympic. Good luck to you, Kevin. Ashley writes that the season is a wrap for 2023. And she wants to know, what do I do during the off season? So much in my mind right now, she says, I would like to get stronger on the bike, start working on strength training and do some other stuff that I couldn't do during training, like more yoga, more boxing, but also setting sights on more races, maybe a half next year. I'm thinking she's probably talking about a uh, 70.3. So, um, what do I do during the off season, Ashley coach? Ashley, this is a great question. And it's been the topic of my recent newsletters, which we send out on Fridays. So if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, I highly recommend it. You can go to endurance hour or T2 coaching website. Cause we've been talking about the off season. You can think of the off season as out of season transitional season. It's basically the time of year between your final peak event of the season until you get started training for your next event for next season. And what I like to do is take time off, you know, one to three weeks where it just, you're not even swimming, biking, running. You're not really active. You're just maybe going for some walks, walk the dog, go for a walk with your family and just allow your body and mind to really recover and take some time off. And then after that, you know, start cross training, do some fun things. If you, if you, if you, if you ride a road bike, and you have a mountain bike, go hit the trail, see what that's all about. If you're a road runner, go do some trail running, um, do some different sports, you know, maybe some stand up paddling, some kayaking instead of swimming. It's the same, you know, kind of, it's the same as you're used to, but just a little bit different, but give yourself time to what I say, play for a few weeks where you're active, like you mentioned, doing your yoga and your boxing class and just experience different activities. There was one year where I committed to two months of just doing Pilates and yoga at the gym I used to work at. And it was really effective because it taught me how to engage my core. It taught me proper posture. And it was just completely different than what I was doing from Ironman training. And so I really enjoyed it. And it kind of became more of a habit where I was able to implement that stuff into my program more on a regular basis. So after you, you do your, you know, two to four, maybe more weeks of kind of play time, we're approaching the holidays. Um, that's more time that people aren't going to devote to training. So 
allow yourself to maybe do one activity a day or even one activity every other day. And then after that, I kind of talked about two to two to four, up to six weeks. Then you want to consider maybe getting back into, you know, you want to get faster on the bike. Um, a program Dave and I created was a bike out of season program. It's a 16 week program and it's just very cycling dominant where we do recommend if you want to swim once a week or run once a week or do some strength training, that's within the program. But the focus is cycling. And so that's a way to, you know, dial in your cycling power, speed, threshold, fitness, kind of wherever you, wherever you think you want to get dialed into just doing a single sport plan like that should help you get ready for the next season. You know, I'm thinking about if you are doing half Ironman or Ironman training, this is a lot of time commitment. How do you make that smoother transition into the off season when you're so used to training a couple hours a day on average to down to one, maybe one hour every other day? To me, it seems like there should be, I have a hard time. And you said you go into, you know, the yoga or the potty classes as endurance junkies almost. One hour doesn't seem like enough or 45 minutes class doesn't seem like enough when you know that in the past you have a high ceiling for endurance capabilities, like just an hour. That's a warm up, Really? I mean, he's like, how do I transition well, from 15 hours a week or 10 hours a week down to three hours a week? It's, it's definitely a mental and you just have to trust the process and you have to allow yourself to lose fitness. Mm. Part of, part of building fitness is losing fitness so your body can be just refreshed and rejuvenated to start training again. I had six weeks post-surgery on the couch. And so it's never happened to me before. And, and I, and I actually did okay. Like, I'm like, all right, my, this is truly an off season for me. <laughs> um, unfortunately, because it was surgery related and I lost a lot of muscle mass, I felt like I went into the negative fitness. <laughs> mm. There was a point during that first 12 weeks that I'm like, oh my God, I'm negative fitness right now. This has never happened to me and it doesn't happen to very many people. But I, but I'm coming, I'm coming out of it. Okay. Because I know where I used to be. I know what I used to do. And I have the choice to get back there or get back there on a, on a, on a different level it's going to be my choice. And so you just have to trust how beneficial taking some lower volume training weeks slash months are going to be for you. And, and it just really is a mind game and you don't know the benefits of it until you do it. It's like, you don't know how prepared you may be for an ultra marathon or Ironman or 70.3 until you cross the finish line, or even if it's your first sprint, you don't know how prepared you are until you cross the finish line. So just give it a try and, um, find other hobbies, you know, other stuff to do that you've been wanting to do, but you just haven't allowed yourself time to do it because you wanted to get in those two or three hours of training a day. There's just a lot of other things that maybe you've never thought about doing, but challenge yourself to allow yourself to just go read a book for three hours instead of mm -hmm. sitting on your bike and watching TV. <laughs> well, Nick has re-entered the sport of triathlon after a 10-year hiatus. And he, like a lot of people, I'm sure this question has come up, but it hasn't come up. The answer hasn't come up from Nick. That's why he's asking us. Uh, technology and gear have evolved significantly in the world of endurance sports. 
Dave and Wendy, what are your favorite training tools, wearables, equipment that have a have had a positive impact on your performance and training experience? Wendy, you want to go first? Um, sure. You know, you know, I just had this conversation that training is a lot different now than it was when I started because of all the technology and the gear. And I used to be agree 100% that it was all about the engine and all about how smart you followed your training plan and you trained specific to your fitness and time available to train and you really didn't need to rely on any of that stuff. But I think that's changed since since the last time I talked about it. I think the the those athletes with the higher tech, well, those athletes who do train smart and who do follow a progressive training plan, plus they have the race wheels or the aero helmets or the aero socks, um, shoes. Aero socks? There's aero socks now. <laughs> and and they have invest, they have the money to invest in different type of nutrition, maybe dietitians, um, sports massage, and other recovery devices. I think that will give an athlete that added edge when they're at a high elite um, competitive nature already. And so for me, I think the power meter, when I got a power meter in 2014, that was a game changer. And I had been, my friends had been talking to me for years about getting a power meter because cycling was my weak link. And when I finally got the power meter, it was a fun toy. I mean, I, I treated it as a toy. It made training. It really changed the way I trained and the way I was, how focused I was on the bike. And so I think for me, that was probably the number one game changer in my training was just getting that power meter and then, uh, getting a, um, a smart trainer. My, my mm. first smart trainer was a compu trainer that I got in I'm going to say 2004, I was training for Ironman Arizona when it used to be in April and I wanted to train indoors. So I had this compu trainer. And then in 2020, I actually got a Wahoo kicker, which seems to be what's, what's available this day and age. So the power meter and the indoor smart trainer is uh, my go-to advice. If you want to invest in something. I definitely power meter and I like uh, a good quality GPS watch that has a heart rate monitor with it. Mm -hmm. And some of the watches, although it doesn't seem as accurate, but they have a heart rate monitor sensor underneath the watch mm -hmm. face. I like the combination though. Um, I put on a, a bike light and camera on the behind my bicycle uh -huh. for safety. Oh, nice. That was a smart thing to do because with technology, people are distracted while they're driving, and some old people just don't re recognize how much road space there is to share the road. So Yeah, I think that's good. That's one uh, for those riding outside. I like your idea about the, the type of trainer you can be on for accurate data. on Because mm -hmm. I would prefer to go – as much as I love riding outside, I have to know my routes that are the safest routes, the widest mm -hmm. Shoulders, least amount of traffic, and because it, because I don't know, just maybe it's just life, maybe because we're old, that time is so limited that yeah, I want to go indoors so I can be efficient, have all my hydration there. It's convenient, so I want to have a good trainer. So your trainer idea is really good. But my go-to's power meter, a heart, a watch with a heart rate monitor strap, and if I do go outside, a couple of those kind of things. 
those the technology thing. Oh, and yeah, I guess the bike computer would be attached to the power meter, but it can be also read on your watch. Those are can be some spendy items, but the data is invaluable. If you don't, if you're just riding, if you're training without data, what are you doing? You have to have some sort of direction. You're in your off season and you're training without data. <laughs> that, that, yes, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but in terms of what, you know, Nick is saying, what were these things have a positive impact on your performance and training? That's what I would go with. You got to have that kind of data to know where you are. At, oh, this, yes. at this day and age, I the doubt, data. I doubt, well, I, Chrissy Wellington, I heard, didn't train with a Garmin device or a GPS device or a heart rate monitor. But at this day and age, if you want to be at a certain level, whether you're mid-pack age group, top of the pack age group, or professional, training by a certain intensity according to your metrics on your mm -hmm. watch is really important. Yeah, if you don't know how close you are to the edge or if you're just on autopilot, how do you know that you need to push yourself? It's like, oh, I, I felt like I was pushing myself. Well, the data doesn't say you were. Right. You can feel it, but did you do it? Right. And that's why I like power because that's the best measure of workload that tells you exactly what you did. One last thing from me to Nick, and I know you're going to uh, endorse this. You haven't been in the sport for 10 years. Hire somebody to coach you. That way, I don't know how old you are. Hire a coach. Get someone who knows where you are and where what's realistic for your results. Because if you go out there thinking, oh, I remember my 10-year-old 10 year ago self. Nope. It's been 10 years. It's not the same. You may, you might as well not have ever been in the sport. Uh, if you're with a 10 year old, a bot, a body that's 10 years older. So hire yeah. somebody. Yeah. That's, and I think, there you, go. you know, the value of, of hiring a coach is there. You're going to get all your questions answered. It's, it's your one-stop place, one-stop shop to get your questions answered you know, I'm in all these Facebook groups and and I just can't believe the number, the kind of questions I, you see in a Facebook group that you're like, you trust these people that are going to give you the right answer. Um, definitely a, a coach is a good investment. Thanks, coach. Uh -huh. uh, Sandy writes, what is your preferred baseline for each uh, discipline prior to beginning your training plan for 70.3? She says she's a runner have only done cycling and swimming for cross training, but she's interested in training for a 70.3 as one of her long-term goals. So again, she's a runner. So what's your preferred baseline before you start training for a 70.3? Um, and again, we highlight, if, if, if we're talking about our programs that we sell on Training Peaks, we, in our first video, um, a preview to the plan before you even purchase a plan, we have recommendations on where you should be you know, with the amount of swimming, amount of cycling, amount of running that we recommend before you start the plan. And it's just dependent on if it's a couch two program or beginner, intermediate or advanced plan. But for the most part, not knowing where she's at, if you're going to train for a 70.3, you have to know how to swim. I, I see so many athletes, again, in a Facebook group, that sign up for an Ironman or 70.3 and then they admit they're like, I don't know how to swim. And so I think you need to know how to swim. Um, there's so many coaches out there such as us that will, we offer free swim analysis so we can kind of jumpstart your swimming. If you send us a video, we could tell you what you should work on specific to your strengths and weaknesses. 
And then, you know, getting, you know, making sure you have a pool or a lake, depending on where you live to swim in. And then you're going to put some time in the water, especially coming from a running background. A lot of athletes who do enter the sport of triathlon from a running background are weaker swimmers. And then cycling, um, I think coming from a running background, it's a lot different. But, and again, in a way it's similar because you can still go long distances and, and not have the impact on your joints. And so it's just going into a, a program with the mindset of you may have to give up some running miles in order to swim and bike and, and have that be a little bit more proportional. Um, you know, instead of running, if you were a runner and you run five days a week, well, maybe cut back to two or three days a week so you you can, you know, get your, your other sports up to your strengths. Mm-hmm. This is similar to Sandy's question from Susan. She wants to do a triathlon. My question is, she says, I can't really swim freestyle. Does it matter if I want to be a competitor? So I followed up with Susan on this question. You know, what does a competitor mean to her? Mm -hmm. If you want to compete, you want to be able to swim the stroke that is your fastest. And for the majority of athletes, it's going to be freestyle. Um, I've, I've seen athletes do an Ironman on their back backstroke they've done breaststroke so no there's no there's no rule that says you have to do freestyle in a triathlon no matter what the distance is and so if you're just looking to be a competitor meaning a participant then go for it and and just get through Mm -hmm. the swim portion as best as you're comfortably getting through the swim portion i watched a guy i'm gonna bring this up it was the cobb county triathlon that I participated in on August 5th and there was an Olympic distance. This was in a pool and the Olympic distance actually had a one K swim, a thousand meter swim. And it was in a 50 meter pool. And I watched a competitor. He, he went last and he was taking three minutes per 50 meter, which meant he took an hour to do a thousand meter swim, which I'm just like, wow, that's a long time in the water to complete a thousand meters. So, you know, it's, it's triathlons for everyone. Wow. I was just thinking, <laughs> wow. So yeah. how do you recall how old Susan is? If she can't really swim freestyle, is it, or is there a physical limitation? Oh no, mobility? I don't know. I didn't okay. follow up with her on that part. Okay. But there might, yeah, that's a good point. There could be. Yeah. I mean, there could be shoulder mobilization issues. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you you, you can kick on your back. That's how I finished my first triathlon. I didn't, it was an open water. My first ever triathlon was open water and I'd only swam in the pool and I didn't really know what a half mile distance felt like. I could barely do 200 without stopping as it was. And I remember getting to the first not even the first buoy. It was like the first buoy that took a left, go to the next buoy, and then you head back to the shore. Uh-huh. And I went on my back the last part of it, and I was like embarrassed, and it was so hard, and I was so slow. And then I got in my my uh, this was oh this is not my first ride. That's this was my first triathlon. It was a mountain bike, a gravel bike, with uh, weird handlebars that were like posts. And I caught up with some people on the bike, and I was still hooked at that point. This is the first outdoor triathlon. But yeah, you can go on your back if you have to. You can still finish and be a one of the competitors, not to be a competitor, but be one of the competitors. Right. 
participants. Right. And so the point of my, that one, the guy I was telling you about who did a, a, a thousand swim in an hour, he did, he would go on his back and float in the middle of the pool and mm. he was trying to make forward progress on his back, but he, he wasn't, he didn't have the strength. I think he had some shoulder mobility issues. He was older. Mm. And so he, he was limited by his mobility, um, and probably could have taken the time to hire me and give him a few lessons before the race. <laughs> it is so funny how, I don't know if it's nature or maybe just my nature growing up poor is that we penny pinch on the weirdest and oddest things. Like I'm not going to pay $99 a month for a coach. If that was, I mean, that's really cheap. Um, but I'll definitely pay, you know, $400 for a, a watch that, uh, a, you know, a GPS watch, just like, no problem. I'll, I'll buy that. But who's going to teach me how to use that watch? Who's going to evaluate that data? You know, right. same thing with food. It's so weird. Like, oh, I'm going to buy this, this product over that product because it's 50 cents cheaper. Or I'm going to go for the, I would always go for the uh, generic brand or the store brand versus the name brand. Again, yeah. growing up a certain way is like, ah, it's the same thing. <laughs> there was, you know, I, I was in the news business for a long time. We t sometimes we do nutrition stories about green beans. This is always a, a good one. Green beans canned at the same factory, different labels because they want to make them affordable to different incomes. Right. So right. you get the Kroger versus whatever the brand would be, but the same, yeah, same, <laughs> same green beans in two cans. One's cheaper. One has a bigger, uh, different label on it. And I look at the back of it, same ingredients, same nutritional value. Yeah. This one's 50 cents cheaper. And then you get people that go, Nope, I'm buying the brand name. All right. I don't, I have no pride. I'm okay with it. I don't mind buying a generic name. Sorry about the tangent. One more no, question. No, I got to No, we're going off on another tangent. I okay. just posted this on, on Instagram at yeah. T2 coach Wendy. That's my Instagram handle. It's a full bike kit, $5,000 Garmin watch, 600 run shoes, 200 swim gear, hundred tri kit, 200 Ironman fee, a thousand knowing exactly what to do from start to finish priceless. <laughs> A coach. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're so right. It's so right. With it's like you buy this fancy boat and you forgot to put a, a motor on it. Like, <laughs> well, where am I going in this this river or this lake, this ocean? I don't know, but the the boat sure is fancy. Mm -hmm. Oh, how are you gonna get there? I don't know. This question from Dan: Competing in my first sprint next month. Wondering if you and Dave can share some tips on how to make the transitions faster. Any small tips and tricks would be most appreciated. Dan, we've talked about this one, and I know we have plenty to offer you. So, Wendy, you want or I want to go first? You. Transitions faster. Keep it simple. Keep it real simple on your, your area. Put what you need on the ground. So, helmet on the bicycle. Sunglasses maybe in the helmet. Shoes, if you can put them on your bike, great. If not, put them on the ground. Maybe put some baby powder or some sort of powder in the shoes because your feet will be wet once you get out of the water. Uh, decide then and there if you're gonna use socks before the transition, before the race begins. Socks or no socks in the bike. Now, have your race belt on you in the swim if you can help it underneath your wetsuit. If not, have it already snapped, put it over your shoulder, put it around your waist. Don't worry about snapping it. Have it already snapped together and just put it over your shoulder. 
uh, maybe save it for the run because that's the only time you're really required to have it. On the run, I can go back to this one in a second. On the run, again, with the shoes, decide whether or not you want to have socks or not. If you do, roll them almost all the way up. Put them into your shoe opening. That way, when you get there, you just put your toes in and roll them up to your foot. Maybe some baby powder because your feet will might be a little wet from the uh, the bike or sweaty. You want a nice, fresh, dry pair of socks and something to absorb the moisture. From there, you might want to, if you want a visor, great. If not, wear the same sunglasses. If not, have a fresh pair, but put them right there next to your shoes. And off you go. Awesome. I think, I think keeping it simple yeah. um, is, is key and, and keeping your items on a, a small towel, the size yes. of a small towel. If you have a regular size towel, fold it up. And so it's, it's tiny and just use what you need to. And, and it's in that small towel. So practice makes progress. And the more you race, the more you're going to develop a habit. And so my habit is running out of let's say a lake, I have a wetsuit, I, I peel down my wetsuit up to my waist as I run to transition. As soon as I get to transition, I tear it down, I get it off my body. I have a glasses, helmet, shoe policy. That's just the order that I've developed over time. And I, and I think about that as I'm running to transition. Glasses, shoes, helmet. I will always have socks available. If I'm going to wear socks, I'll put them on on the bike and I'll, I'll, I use the same socks for the run. Um, glasses, shoes, helmet, go. Um, bib probably on the bike, depending on what the rules are, but sometimes I don't take my bib until the second transition. So running into T2, um, rack your bike in the place that you got it from. Um, I take off my helmet, put it on my bike. I keep my glasses on, take my shoes off, put my running shoes on, grab my bib, grab my visor and I run. But this is just something that, because I've raced a lot, it's just become very quickly. Um, I think it, like anything, have a plan, practice your plan, and then it kind of gets a little bit easier and a little bit quicker over time. And also be aware that sometimes your transition may be a little slower because you had a long run from the swim to the bike. That's fairly common. And sometimes people don't take that into account during their transition time, that there may be a little bit longer run from mm-hmm. one sport to the next. I always like to walk the transition in and outs, whether it's Good. the day before, yeah. so I know where things are. So when I'm coming out of the water, yes, first thing I do, wetsuit off while I'm running down to my waist. And then I'm looking for uh, landmarks in the transition to know where I was. So I know I can go straight to my transition. So wetsuit, where's my bike? I have to know where my bike is. So I'm just mindset, breathing, try to get calm, get the breath back going, get to my bike, strip off, like you said, helmet, sunglasses, uh, the shoes are usually on the bike, and I start rolling out of transition. Then get going first mile, getting my, my heart rate back down, trying to stay calm, hydrate a little bit, and then a mile or two, mile before transition two, might take the shoes out of the bike, uh, out of the sh- shoes, out of the, uh, my feet out of the shoes, but this is your first sprint next month. So it may not be that important. It's also, you know, technically it's a little challenging in your balance. Take your shoes off on Velcro, whatever it may be, and, and take them out of your shoes. Um, spin the legs a little bit, stretch them out. Uh, one more sip of fluids before you go to that sprint run part. 
know where your bike rack is so you can go right to it, rack it, helmet off. Shoes, or your feet are all out of your shoes. Socks, shoes, go with a race belt. So a lot of redundancy there, Dan, but that's that's our two approaches, I think. Anything else? Yeah. You, you know, he'll just find out what works for him. You know, yeah. my fastest transition was probably when I started because I used a, my cycling shoes were my running shoes. Mm-hmm. And so it's just that transition from bike to run was quick because I would just hop off the bike, rack my bike, take my helmet off, and I was ready to run. I ran. Um, so, again, it just depends on are you are you slow because you're wetsuit. If, if you have a difficulty taking your wetsuit off, it's something that you might be worth your while to practice, trying to get faster at taking down that wetsuit. What's your take on, uh, if you can remember in the beginning compared to where you are now, on how fast you begin that run? Because that's always the spot where you are you are rushing. I always feel like I'm <laughs> rushing because you're coming off the bike going so many miles per hour, right? Whether it's 20 miles per hour, 15, 25, whatever it is, you're coming off a fast leg of the, of the race uh-huh. to a transition where you're stopping and then everyone's chaotic. They're, gonna, they're running out the chute to go run and everyone seems to be going super fast. And that's where it's like, oh, my heart rate is I'm just blowing up right now. Uh-huh. Um, easing into the run or do you just get up to your pace right away? What do you do? Um, when I'm transitioning from when I actually get off my bike and I'm running my bike to re-rack it, mm-hmm. I'm not in any hurry. I don't want to fumble. I don't want to fall over. I don't want to trip on my pedal or my shoe. If my shoes are in my pedals, I don't want to trip. I'm kind of like, this is my chance to breathe, you know, kind of relax. This is not, again, in my mind where I'm going to win the race. I mean, I'm not, I don't dilly dally, but I don't like push it too much. And then as soon as I get ready to run, I'm going, I'm ready to go. I'm because I've taken that little, I've eased up on my intensity at that point, getting off my bike, running with my bike. Mm -hmm. As soon as I'm ready to run, I take off and especially in a sprint, but I've also done these, you know, for 30 years. So I'm, I'm taking off max effort. Now in an Ironman, it's a different story. Sometimes I get off my bike and make cramp. My lower back is a little sore. Um, I got to make sure I put my sunscreen on. <laughs> That's just yeah. a whole new, just a yeah. whole new ball game in a different, longer race. Uh, mm. you got, you go through the changing tent. I've never changed. I've only once in my life was Ironman Florida where I actually changed full on in the tent, but otherwise I don't change. And so, um, I try to get out on the run as quickly as possible and just get into my groove right away. Yeah. It's not the Olympics as people will see on TV where they're flying through transitions. Yeah. I like what you said, you know, from your jogging with your bike to the rack, that could be a time to like, all right, settle, 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 pace yourself and transition. It's not one of loss right here necessarily. And right. then, just kind of work your way out. But I, I, as my last memory of in an Ironman is like, all right, slow it down. Give me that sunscreen. Let me walk out of here because the next four hour, four or five hours, I want to be on the move. Yeah. There's no rush to get out to running for the next five hours uh, for an iron. But for the sprint, hopefully you're only out there 30, 40 minutes. There might be some urgency there. Well, welcome back to, to uh, triathlon, Dan, having your first sprint next month. Pretty cool. Especially yeah. – with the email right now. Speaking of emails, so Wendy, in the past years and years ago, we had dedicated individual segments we would produce for YouTube that would be Q and A 
from our listeners and viewers and so on. How would that work for, let's say, the off season? How would people get a hold of you? And what are some common things that people ask you that you can respond to and, and answer for them? Well, we you can contact me, Wendy at T2 Coaching. Email. Um, some people send. Some people who really are know me on Facebook will send me a Facebook um, message, direct message, or on Instagram a DM, um, which is fine. I have a contact form on my website that people still use to contact me, and so there's a lot of avenues, a lot of ways to contact me. As we approach this time of year, it's fall. People, most triathletes who are probably done with their season maybe feeling a little anxious because they're kind of like, Oh, I don't have a race. What should I be doing? Uh, yes. Um, and I think that could be very confusing. It used to be confusing for me because you do read a lot of articles online from various publications. Is it, what's it called? The off season, the out of season, the fall season, the transitional season. So that alone will create a lot of, a lot of confusion. And I think the best way to get your, your questions answered I mean, set up a phone consultation with me. I'm available to chat with you more on the phone about your specific needs and wants and kind of help you create a plan over the phone if that's going to help you. Um, we do have specific out-of-season training plans that you may have you may have purchased already and you may have questions on a plan that you purchased from us. Take advantage of that consultation with me so we can make sure you understand it and you're going about it the right way. And then there's other people who are coming off their off season. Maybe they were done in August and now they're ramping up for a springtime, April, May, 70.3 or 140.6. So they may have questions about, you know, I've taken some time off. I'm, I'm a little unmotivated. How do I, how do I get back into a training groove, whether they follow a plan or not? Sometimes you take some time off and you're kind of like, oh, well, I kind of enjoy it. Or I'm feeling like I need more time off or, or I'm ready to get back into it, but I don't want to get into it too much too soon. So those are some, some questions that people may have this time of year. Okay. So Wendy at t2coaching.com for all your questions that Wendy can either answer directly through a message or maybe make a video answer for you that we can put on the YouTube channel. Uh, Endurancehour.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. We send that out to kind of recap some some tips that are seasonal, that are uh, educational, entertaining, and along with some discounts. Now, are we merging the newsletter into one newsletter or still two? Um, I've been doing mostly one okay. newsletter. Um, we were doing uh, the regular Friday newsletter, and then we were doing Mondays. We were just kind of discounted newsletter, but we really haven't had any any more partnerships to add to those discount codes. Okay. So I have, I've been trying to just send that out once a month, like at the end of the month, Okay. like as a reminder, you know, and again, we're going into this season of change. And so, um, it's, it's, things are slowing down from a multi-sport perspective. They always slow down this time of year. So that's kind of on our end. Me, me and Dave will be slowing down as well. But people are about to celebrate the end of their season with a world championship participation. So Kona, um, less than two weeks away, you have a, a couple of shout outs or you want to say something about the yeah. Kona event? So I have three athletes going to Kona, um, Kathy, Judy, and Karen. 
And that's exciting. I wish I could be there. Um, I, I actually wanted to be there, you know, just go out for race weekend, but my leg can't handle that long flight. It gets too antsy. I can't believe I've sat here for as long as I have right now. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout out to them, wish them luck. I'm excited to hear about the new format being women only in Kona and all their experiences. Judy's experience, she's probably done four or five in Kona and this will be Kathy and Karen's first Kona experience. So I'm really looking forward to how, what they have to say and their race and I'll be following them on Ironman tracker. So do you know, is it a a full 2000 women in Kona? Cause normally it's capped off when there's men and women, but being only women, they fill out the entire thing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure because women for triathlon had a bunch, I'm going to say a couple hundred extra slots to give away. So some races, some had like maybe up to a hundred women who could qualify at Mm. some of these races this past season. And so I think they did that to try to get more women to the big Island and to kind of fill up 2000 athletes. But I'm honestly, I'm not exactly sure what it ended up being. You think this is the last year they're making up for, for COVID like because of all the, the rollovers and, you know, opting for this race because we had to, you know, make do you don't, you didn't, if you didn't want to do Ironman St. George, well, you didn't want to do the Ironman World Championship St. George, so you can choose a different race and people who couldn't right. or qualified. And it's like, oh, all right, now we're splitting the Ironmans and we're making more room. I don't know. I, I don't remember if this was something that uh, was some carryover into people uh, deferring their races. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think the split, you know, so they've already announced that women are going to Nice in 2024 and men are going to Kona in 2024. That's already been announced. That's yeah. secure. What will it be in 2025 to be determined? The reason it was split was because there were 5,000 athletes in Kona in 2022 because of COVID and the deferrals and the cancellations of COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID or um, Kona didn't happen in 2020, 2021. And so we had all these athletes and then the, it was just too much for the Island to handle. Um, they split the race into two races, women on Thursday, men on Saturday. It's a lot of volunteers. That's a lot of yeah. product that they had to ship to the big Island. Yeah. Um, that was just a little overload for what the Kona community wanted. And so that's why they Ironman world champion or Ironman WTC changed the venue for men and women to be split. Um, and obviously that happened, be- the, the 5,000 athletes in 2022 happened because of COVID canceled the previous races. But moving forward, um, I think they just want to continue to grow the amount of women that go to a world championship and grow the amount of men that go to a world championship. So they'll keep it split or they'll rotate it. You know, like they rotate a 70.3 venue every year. I don't know. I just have no idea. I haven't thought really much about it. I think there's positives to both. I like the mix of men and women competing, uh, but I also like the fact that you get more men or more women competing at once, more opportunity when it's your own dedicated day or event. I don't know. I, I, I could, I'm, I'm happy either way. I'm, <laughs> I'd be happy either way if right. it was me with, you know, I, there's 3000, 4000 men competing on the same day or, you know, 
1500 men, 1500 women. I don't care either way. It's it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, yeah. You know, I just think, yeah. I just think there's a, there's a, the allure to going to Kona. So the men had no choice. Like men who thought they were going to Kona this year were automatically injected into Nice, France. And mm. so they didn't really have a choice because they had already qualified yeah. before the change was made. Now, women know that they're going to Nice for the world championship in 2024. And men, there there may be women who are like, well, I'm just going to wait and try to qualify for 2025 when it goes back to Kona. Oh, so that'll be interesting it, right? to see how many women fill up the race in Nice, France next year. I like the international flair to it, but maybe it's just it's better for Europeans. Like, hey, now it's finally we don't have to travel yeah, so far. Exactly. All you Americans have had this luck. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone still has to fly to Hawaii, but yeah, international travel. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It is because what if we have another pandemic? International travel is closed. Mm-hmm. Everything's closed again. Yeah, fingers crossed. So everyone's just got to adapt, accept, and and focus on your why and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, Wendy, I think we're we're good for today, aren't we? Yeah, it was a good one. Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, send your questions to Wendy at T2Coaching.com. Uh, sign up for the newsletter on EnduranceHour.com. We'll see you on uh, the social media networks. We don't talk to you or hear from you or see you. Uh, have a great off-season. Until next time, have a great day of training, racing, and recovery. I'm Dave. See you next time. Adios. Adios.